Good evening, everybody. I hope you're all doing well. My name is Tracy West, and I am the Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Wilmer Hale. And I also serve as a co-chair along with Jasmine Jean-Louis um, of the BBA's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Steering Committee. I'm very, very excited uh, to assist with facilitating this evening's event and the conversation that we are going to have with two phenomenal, dynamic, trailblazing attorneys that I have admired for a while. Um, as a former associate dean at Boston College Law School that actually worked and uh, worked with and for historically underrepresented law students, the information and the survey and this report that Paulette and Eileen um, worked on, it has a special meaning to me in many regards because for almost 20 years, I have had uh, students that have become friends and are in the practice and we constantly hear about a number of the issues that are raised in this report. So I'm hopeful that tonight, after again, we have a chance to further discuss their findings that you, our virtual audience um, will perhaps hear these concerns differently. But more importantly, and most importantly, other than just hearing them and perhaps being able to accept, I would like to challenge you and encourage you, especially those of you who are in positions of privilege and influence and leadership at your organizations, that we are going to finally, and with intention and commitment, try to address these concerns. And as a result, um, we're able to really benefit Boston as a community with a much stronger and active and engaged legal profession. So that being said, um, the two speakers who are the co-authors of the report, Left Out and Left Behind, the hurdles, hassles, and heartaches of achieving long-term legal careers for women of color, are Eileen Letts and Paulette Brown. Eileen is a premier civil trial attorney whose practice of over 40 years includes dozens of jury trials and over 100 bench trials, often for Fortune 500 companies and iconic government entities in product liability, complex tort, and commercial disputes. She is a partner and chairperson of the litigation department at Zuber, Lawler, and Del Duca, and she sits in their Chicago office and also has a national reputation for her diversity and inclusion work as well. She has served as co-chair of the American Bar Association President, sorry, 360 Commission, on which she was responsible for the implementation of diversity and inclusion goals. And she is also an ABA Margaret Brent awardee. Um, as I said, Eileen is a trial attorney, and as a former trial attorney myself, I realize that, you know, that's a very busy practice and you often don't have a lot of free time. However, what I think is indicative and telling of um, Eileen's commitment uh, to helping to pay it forward is that even after her long days at work, um, she would continue oftentimes behind the scenes to help and assist either law students or young attorneys uh, so much so that I don't think I know of any other trial attorney, much less attorney, who would be willing to, there was a particular uh, student at one point that needed help with the bar exam. And after working full days, 
Eileen would actually go home and help tutor this person uh, in preparation for the upcoming bar examination, uh, which they successfully passed. Um, and this is just one example of Eileen's uh, willingness to pay it forward and to assist those in need. Also with us uh, is Paulette Brown, who should be a very familiar name and face to many of you, as I remind you that she was the recipient of the Boston Bar Association's 2017 Beacon Award for Diversity and Inclusion. In 2015, Paulette was the first woman of color elected to, the, to lead the American Bar Association. Um, since its inception in 1878, and I actually did my math, so I couldn't guess, that was 137 years it took for a woman of color to lead this organization that is comprised of approximately over 400,000 volunteer member organizations. Um, and in that role, Paulette was responsible for the governance, advocacy, and serving as the voice and the face of the ABA. Her presidential initiatives resulted in seven major policies developed and approved, of, approved by the ABA. And she has a very long lasting impact on diversity inclusion in the legal profession and the justice system. Paulette Brown is also a past president of the National Bar Association and currently serves as the chair of the Africa Council for the ABA's Rule of Law Initiative. But that's just her spare time. For her nine to five gig, Paulette is uh, a partner and the chief diversity and inclusion officer at Lock Lloyd. Uh, she is nationally recognized again for her dedication and efforts relating to diversity and inclusion, including the impact of implicit bias and is a frequent speaker and educator on both. She has won numerous awards and honors, including the Margaret Brent Award and three honorary doc doctorate degrees. So my little PS fun fact about Paulette is after she was um, elected uh, to the ABA as their president, I, we were speaking at an event together and she shared with me that it was her goal to visit all 50 states during her tenure, which she accomplished. But in addition to that, so after she would speak at an event or visit different firms, um, Paulette made an additional commitment, a personal one herself, where she would visit every state that had a boys and girls club as well and read to these children um, a book called The Briefcase of Jurist, Jurist Prudence, I'm forgetting, of Jurist P. Prudence, that's what it is. Um, which was written by a uh, name that I'm forgetting right now. And Paulette, you're, you're, you're muted. Jessica Childress. Thank you. Um, Paulette would bring this book and read to the children. And I do believe it was about 40 girls and boys clubs that she had the opportunity to visit because there are at least 10 states, I guess, in this country that don't have one. Um, Again, constantly, here's an example of women who have enough on their plate to begin with, but they're always, always taking the time uh, to reach back and they don't forget the importance of the necessity to continue exposing and supporting our young, historically underrepresented youth, um, as well as our lawyers. So without any further ado, I am going to turn it over to Eileen and Paulette, who will share some insight about their report, and then we are going to have 
a fireside chat with no fire. <laughs> Pauletta, I always like you to kick it off because you are the real, the genesis of why we got the report going, so. Okay, uh, she called your name first, so I was gonna let it go to you, but uh, it's okay, oh. it's fine, so. <laughs> I'm um, switching it up tonight, ladies, switching yeah, it so, up. <laughs> anyway, so, so um, well, thank you very much, Tracy, for that kind, generous introduction. And thank you for the Boston Bar Association and to Maureen. I have to give a shout out to her, the current chair of the Commission on Women, who asked Eileen and I, uh, I think before the report was even finalized, mm -hmm. we come to Boston. We thought that we would come in person at the time. <laughs> Um, because she actually asked us pre-pandemic. That's how long ago she asked us to come and talk about this report. So Maureen, we thank you very much for this opportunity and to the Boston Bar Association. So the, the report um, was, and the study was started, conducted. Um, Hillary Bass, who was president of the ABA, decided that she wanted as one of her initiatives um, to study the long-term careers of women in law. And she appointed Bobby Bloomberg and Stephanie Sharp to chair that, um, that study and that work. And out of that came a, a few different reports, including the main one, which was called Walking Out of the Door, um, the Long-Term Careers of Women in Law. When, when I found out about um, the study that was going to be conducted, I thought about the fact that as a tra former trial lawyer um, and litigator that um, people of my generation, I could name all of the women of color um, who were litigators, who were trial lawyers. And I said, that is not a good thing. And obviously that meant that the experiences of women of color were not the same as women overall. And then so often women of color, their experiences are generally different in any of it, but they get lost because they get absorbed uh, when you talk about all women. And so I talked to Bobby and Stephanie, both of whom I've known a long time. In fact, Stephanie was a special advisor to the commission that Eileen chaired when I was president um, and told them that I thought that we needed a parallel study. Um, because the experiences of women of color would necessarily be different. And they agreed, um, as I knew that they would. And so we embarked upon this study and um, the, um, the, the, the walking out of the door, they, um, they sought women who had been in the practice at least 20 years. We initially tried to do that. We were unsuccessful. We had to bump it down to 15 years. And even with that, it was a struggle trying to get people to participate in the focus groups and which we ultimately had to do a combination of focus groups and an online survey. And so um, I'm gonna kick it off to Eileen to talk about what happened next. Sure, and just to, to piggyback onto the last piece that Paul had mentioned is that we did the, uh, we went to several major uh, cities, we went to Chicago, Atlanta, Los Angeles, and New York, where we did the study in person and as well as online. Um, we had several in-person focus groups to, to go through the, uh, the survey and ended up with, as you'll see in the study, really some really um, heart-wrenching comments by uh, many lawyers of color 
we found, uh, just to say in the study to give you kind of an overview, that women of color consider more often than others leaving the practice of law. But they don't. They tend to stay. And one of the reasons they stay is, one of the main reasons they stay is because they love the law. They really cannot be intimidated out of the law, despite all of the uh, hassles and heartaches that they undergo in, uh, uh, in the practice. What we also learned were some of the reasons that they stayed, as well as loving the law, is they had more family obligations, more commitments. They were, a lot of them, the sole breadwinner. And if they weren't the sole breadwinner, they still were, they earned more than their significant other. And therefore it was necessary that they continue to stay in the practice. A lot of them felt that they were role models, felt that they were in the practice of law, that they were at their law firms and that they were the person that younger women looked up to, that they saw them and something that in some way they wanted to be like them and achieve the goals that they had achieved and they felt responsible uh, for staying. Uh, and they have financial needs. Not only, not only were they the, the breadwinners, a lot, you know, a lot of debt, a lot of reasons that they needed to stay. They have a lot of loans, a lot of things that they needed to things that they needed to pay, and they don't have the support system to not do that. And speaking of support systems, a lot of them are the first in their families to have gone not only to law school to college. So you've got women that have are the the kind of shining star in their family by having gone to college and then becoming a lawyer on top of that. And they cannot bear the thought of disappointing their family and having to also explain to their family, some of them as to, you know, you've got this great job. How could you think of leaving because you're what unhappy because they don't treat you well? No, so, so a lot of them, you know, they stay for that. And another thing, a lot, a lot of women of color too are very active in their communities. And because of this, they feel that they have a role to play by being uh, contributors to society from the outside, as well as not only the inside at a law firm, but because they also are, you know, in these different non-for-profits, these different organizations, and they also are seen as role models from externally, as well as internally. So we saw all of those reasons that, um, you know, that women uh, of color stayed in the practice of law. Uh, <laughs> yes, Miss Brown. <laughs> I thought that's where we were going. <laughs> She's I talk too much. All right. I'll be quiet. No, that's not no. That's not what I was saying. I know, I know, I know, I know what you're mm -hmm. saying. Mm -hmm. But um, and don't but tell that, on that, me. I'm not, I know, I won't. but I'm not telling the recommendations. I'm saying that this is what, you know, what we found. We is a very, I mean, people, it was very, and one of the comments that I found very telling was, uh, and I think a lot of women of color can relate to this, that they said, you know, they felt it was them until they talked to other women yes. of the same thing and found out it's not only me. This isn't just me. I, I'm not alone in this. This happens all the time to women of color which is consoling and also disheartening. <laughs> and then there's also different aspects of what color you are, right? Th that is very additional right. subsections. That's right. Of, right. 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 That's right. right, that's right, that's right, that's right. Paulette, you wanna? Right, so women of color are not a monolith. And mm -hmm. even within different groups, you know, the, the subject of colorism 
comes into play as well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, but also I just wanted to point out with regard to the study, we had some difficulty getting people coming to the focus groups because coming to a focus group entailed about giving up about six hours of your time. And, and most women of color did not believe that they had the luxury to do that. So, and, but we needed to have at least 100 people in order for it to be a credible survey um, or credible report. And so we ended up with about 106 people, but part were because of they were online questions, the same questions that were asked in the focus group. Um, and, and the other thing I, I wanna point out is that you will notice that you don't see a lot of commentary from the Native, Native American women. Um, that is not to say that they were not considered and that, and I wanna make it clear that they were not excluded. Um, you know, as a part of the process, we reached out to every major bar association um, and asked them to participate. And even after um, we did that, we still didn't have a lot of people. So we reached out to just people who we knew to ask people to participate in the study. And um, unfortunately, we are not able to ascertain uh, whether any of those people who participated are uh, Native American women. Certainly, uh, with regard to the anecdotal comments that were made, we do not see any Native American women um, making any comments. But uh, we know that they too are marginalized. Um, and just because their sheer numbers are so low, you know, it makes it even more difficult. When you think about how difficult it was when you're looking at uh, African descendant women, Latinx women, Asian women, and Native women, and we could still only get 106 people, um, you know, out of that group, that it was very difficult. Um, and the sample size, you know, we, you know, the statistical data that um, they were able to get with women of color, uh, with other women, um, we weren't able to get those kind, that kind of data, which only points up the fact that how important and necessary this report was because of the paucity of the representation of women of color. Any other comments? Should we start chatting? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies. So here we go. I have to tell you, I read this report actually three times. You know, had to. The first time, you know, it's hard. It's bittersweet with more on the bitter side. Um, again, one of the reasons I guess that encouraged my career trajectory had a lot to do with what was in this report and attempting to help others overcome the challenges that were there when I was in law school a minute ago um, are still present in this, this day and time. Uh, so the report noted that it was important to capture data right, on all women and to simultaneously distinguish them. Um, and that analysis, particularly when distinguished on the basis of gender, often does not take into account these additional and or separate issues that impact most women of color, is what we, you know, I learned. But in, in light of that, are there any certain issues that you would like to highlight that you did not have a chance to address and bring up with your introductory comments? You know, one of the one of the one of the uh, one of the things I, I I like I would like people to know are the the numbers, uh, the representation, and when you look at you know women overall, they represent about twenty two, an average of twenty two percent of equity partners. 
um, which, you know, the goal is to have at least 30%, and I understand that. But when you look at women of color, um, you have Asian women, 1.46 of them are partners. Um, you look at Latinx, it's 0.80%. When you look at Black women, it's 0.75%, less than 1%. Uh, of you know, in, in in two groups are 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 partners in law firms, and I think that if you look at it over a period of time, the progress has been almost non-existent. So in 2006, um, you know, we had the Visible Invisibility Report, women of color in law firms, and what the numbers looked like then. Then you had the recession in 2009 where there was too much attrition of people of color in general. And so the numbers haven't fully come recovered from that. And with regard to black men, they just started to recover in the beginning of 2020 to get back to where they were in 2009. And so generally speaking, there's been no real progress at all uh, with regard to women of color. There's been slight progress with regard to Asian women, but I would submit that 1.46% um, is nothing to, as we used to say, write home about. But, you know, Black women um, are, are the most underrepresented um, in, in basically every category, even in the associate level. Um, they're the least represented of, of all of the women of color and of de definitely of all women. And one thing I, I'd like to point out is, you know, that, and it's in the study um, that, and I think it's very true of, you know, probably even us on the phone, that we have to leave a lot of ourselves outside the door when we walk in the door. We can't really be our authentic selves when we are at work. Uh, because if we're our authentic selves, then uh, it can sometimes, people consider that to be uh, problematic with, with uh, African-American women. We're considered to be aggressive. We don't have to say anything. Angry. Just, just angry. We're angry. We're aggressive. We're assertive. And, and so therefore we have to tone that down. So what does that do to the person who's, who is, who is that person? What, when you have to not be your real self and you have to kind of hold that back and then you still, despite holding that back, are still mistreated you know, that, that does not uh, make for a good uh, career advancement personally. Absolutely. You know, personally, you are, you know, you're feeling that you, you, when you go to work, you're like, I can't really do this. I can't say that. I can't do this. So is that making you necessarily the best lawyer that, that you could be? Probably so we not. We have all this extra weight that you're carrying around. Exactly. And the challenges and the struggles, right? And exactly. You're being cognizant of how you show up. Right. Um, right. Yeah. That's definitely challenging and, and it's difficult to compartmentalize. Right. It is. As some it's might think it's easier than not. Um, so in light of that, and, and from what I'm hearing, I guess the question that I would really like to bring up is how then, or what are your thoughts on how we as individuals, as well as within our businesses and our business and the court system or within our communities, do a better job of identifying, recognizing, and highlighting these additional and separate issues and challenges and ways that we can bring these realities. Because let, let's put it now fact, we've got data. Everyone always pushes back and says, show me the data, show me the data. Well, now we have data. 
Um, how do we bring these realities to the forefront? And so as I want you to think about that, I'm curious, are there examples of types of data that would be beneficial for law firms, companies, or courts to obtain or track? Um, and have you guys had the opportunity to observe any successful models of organizations within or outside the legal profession um, that have tracked the data and have tried to employ it for positive change? I always like, when it comes to data, Paulette knows that she, she, she's, she's data woman. She's a data woman. I'm data woman. <laughs> She's data woman. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know whether I'm data woman. I can. I can you <laughs> that um, that there are some firms that that track certain data, and I think that it's really important because one of the things that I think is that people don't really have an appreciation for how well that they've done, and sometimes when people have law firms have done real things, it wasn't as a result of an organized plan that it just so happens. So that means that it's not likely that it would happen again. So you have to build in structure um, into what it is that you do to, so that when no matter who is in charge, who caused that good thing to happen in that moment, um, things will, you, you're not reliant on that one person or that one leader or that one group of leaders. You have a system in place um, to ensure that it happens over and over and over again. The other thing I think that you have to do is because a lot of people don't really have an appreciation for where you really stand because they're in their own little world, they're billing their hours and they're generating business. And so they don't really have a full appreciation and they're just um, de uh, uh, defaulting to people who are like them without giving it any thought. And so they don't really have a good picture of what the firm looks like or what the organization looks like unless somebody calls them, unless a client says, give me all of the demographic information for the people on the team working on my matters. And so that's when it becomes, you know, it comes more to light. But, you know, in, in order sometimes for people to understand where they need to go, they need to go back and look at the information that's there, what it is that they've been doing all along, what have the numbers been? You know, are the attrition rates the same across the board or is the percentage greater for women of color? In particular, that's who we're talking about. And so, you know, you look at some firms, um, especially after the, the, the racial unrest that occurred over the summer, the COVID pandemic and so forth, that especially the racial things, there are some firms that are actually saying they're stating very specific goals that by um, 2024, for example, we're going to increase the black lawyers by 50%. And we're going to increase black lawyers in leadership by 30%. And so then people ask, you know, why are you only talking about black lawyers? Why are you not talking about Latinx lawyers or Asian lawyers? Um, and the response is because blacks have had the longest history of underrepresentation. Um, they were here before everyone else was here, and they have been marginalized longer. It's not to say that others won't be brought along, but this is the most underrepresented group at the moment. Um, and so, and so there, there are some organizations that are doing that. Um, and, and, um, uh, and I think that you have to have really specific goals, um, and you have to have a mechanism to be accountable 
for those goals. So being transparent about it, you know, publicly saying this is what we're going to do by when we're going to do it. You know, there are other things that um, structural things that can be done um, that that will not depend on someone else um, to ensure that it gets embedded into all of the systems in the organization. And, and another, another thing that I think we found too, uh, uh, Tracy, we're going to say, I didn't mean to, Tracy. No, that's, that's fine because this <laughs> is actually tied in and, and okay. absolutely fine. Another thing I was going to mention is, you know, we talk about mentors and we talk about sponsors. Yes. And I think people have talked about mentors, 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 and that's nice. And I think everybody needs a mentor. I'm not diminishing that at all. But we need, but people of color need sponsors. Women of color need sponsors. They need people that are going to speak up about them, that they're going to go in the room and talk about them and say what a great job they're doing and that you need to put uh, X on this on this piece of work, that you need to support them, that you need to go out and help them. It's mentors, I think this is Paulette saying, I probably won't get it right, that mentors talk to you and sponsors talk about you. Right. And I think that is, that's key. You've got to, we really, women of color need that support system. They need those people speaking and supporting them uh, in absolutely not, where they're not. <laughs> and, 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 you know, we discuss this all the time and there's a distinction and a real difference between what a mentor is mm -hmm. and a sponsor. But it's one thing to have a mentor that's assigned to you. Someone's volunteering, they've been trained. Mm -hmm. So we have this relationship, we know what the expectations are. Yet when we have a sponsor, usually those relationships are... Um, more valuable and productive when it tends to be an authentic relationship. Exactly, exactly. But again, as your study focused upon, a lot of times women of color were not in the situations or invited per se necessarily to mm -hmm. the events or in the room. Mm -hmm. There was an opportunity to develop organically a relationship right. with the leaders that would then lead to an opportunity for someone to speak on their behalf when they're not in the room. Thoughts on ways that we can do better with, there's a lot, ladies, as I'm sure you've heard of conversation and challenges in our profession about how do we develop sponsors? Thoughts on ways that we well, can- I, I, I would say that goes back to one of the things that we said in the study, it's structure. You know, you've got to have structure because if you, if we just sat back as a lot of people have done, not us on, not us on this, on this program, but as others have done and said, well, you need to do that. And, you know, here, yeah, somebody go talk to them or somebody sponsor them. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Or it might happen for two seconds. Right. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. So we really got to have it institutionalized. It's, it's got to be within the institution, that there has got to be some form of including and making sure that these women of color have support systems that are, I hate to say given to them, but figure out a way to make it, to, to at least start that way. And then there's, and I believe seriously, I hate to say it, but I believe in the stick. You know, I mean, the carrot, I just don't think works. I, I mean, it's nice and it's great, but I don't think it works, especially in these in, in this situation. I think you've got to have some actual metrics. You've got to say, okay, what is going to become of, you know, this is a program we've instituted. You are a sponsor. You are a supporter of this person. What have you done? What, what, have, you, what have you done to support them? What have, you, what have you within your ability and capability done to make it happen? And if they can't point to anything, if they say, I haven't had time, 
you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. No, you, to me, it needs to be tied to compensation. I hate to say it, lawyers are, lawyers are driven. Some are very altruistic, but a lot are driven by money. <laughs> and pay those bills. Right. And if you, and if you tie it to some form of compensation, some form of advancement within their institution for that sponsor, I think, I think they'll pay a little bit more attention than they currently do. So <laughs> you thought so, about, go ahead. I was just going to say building, you know, adding on from that, yes, we should have more systems in place or, or, or programs and policy in place in the system. And actually what you're talking about doing is changing the culture in the sense, right? And culture is something that is intentionally created or it is intentionally copied. It's mimicked. There, you know, a culture is not just poof, here it is. Individuals decide what works for them. What about the potential pushback? Look, lawyers, we are risk adverse, especially big law. The concerns of the pushback from the majority membership about, well, why is this woman getting extra attention and treatment versus me? I've, I've done what I'm supposed to do to be here. That's not fair. It's not equitable. So it's funny that you should bring up the word equitable. <laughs> you know, there there is a big distinction between something that's equal and something that's equitable. Absolutely. I think that, you know, part of it is an educational process um, to have people understand that when you are providing this quote unquote extra assistance to this woman of color, you're really not, you're making an attempt to bring equity into the process. You wanna make sure that they have all of those opportunities that you have had just by virtue of your gender and by virtue of the color of your skin. And so, you know, you have to, you know, and, and, and it is um, not so much that a woman of color does not have the same capabilities, but there are inherent things, advantages that um, some people have that others do not. Some were born on third base, some were born in the dugout. Both got tickets to the football game. One sits on the 50-yard line, the other sits up in nosebleed territory with a whole bunch of people blocking their view. And so, and so you know, and, and a lot of people have probably seen um, the, the, the cartoon where you have the white man on one side, the woman of color on the other side about to start a race and the woman of color's got barbells there, spikes in the road along the way. You know, so many different barriers um, that confront women of color, including people having certain perceptions of them that are hard for them to diminish. And so they're forced to, which is something that came out in the report, you know, even though they do something well, it's like they never did that thing well. Absolutely. And they have to prove it again, Pia. And then and they again. do it well again, then they have to prove it again that they're capable of doing it. And so women of color uh, are, are generally never the ones who people look to first to do a particular thing. And so when you have a man um, talking about, you know, why is there special treatment? There's no special treatment. You've had special treatment all of your life. We just want to try to level the playing field to bring her to where you are so that she can have the same chance to be successful that you had. 
Right. And, and, and it's so easy. Say that mm-hmm. Equity mm-hmm. and equality is not necessarily the same thing. Correct. And, and it's so easy for John to go over to Jim and say, let's go, you know, let's go hang out. Let's, let's, uh, you know, let's go get lunch. And at lunch, we'll talk about the case or at lunch, we'll talk about a potential client or at lunch, we'll talk about introducing you to somebody. You know, how often do women of color get that invitation? Not often, not often. Because no. they're, they're not comfortable. They're not comfortable doing that with us. So and, and, you know, go, go ahead, go, I'm sorry. I was gonna say, so if it makes you, so if they have to be a little uncomfortable for a while, then that's what they have to be. Because we have been treated unfairly for so, so, so long that it'll be decades before we even come close to the John and Jim relationship. <laughs> and, and the other thing, Eileen, to what you were saying, what happens also at those lunches, you know, they get to learn about the politics in the organization. Yeah, at the, exactly. They Ex- get to learn about the exactly. politics in the organization <laughs> and what to right. say and who has what idiosyncrasy right. and all of those things. Right. Oh, they automatically have that advantage um, when they have those opportunities to right. have those informal mm-hmm. and, and you know and they would not like to call them affinity groups but they are affinity groups you know they 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 are, they are of like individuals and so you know so that when you form other affinity groups you know it's the, it's the same premise and I had I had a friend, a real quick example, an Asian woman really doing really well at a law firm, had work taken away from her to give to the white guy because he was up for partner. So he needed more work and he took it, they took it away from her so he could have that. So those, you know, how do you get past those inequities, those that inequality, you know? So so you are uncomfortable by doing the right thing for a while. So be it. <laughs> but that that was not even doing the right thing. That was doing a real wrong thing. No, 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 no. I said, no, that wasn't. Right. right. I understand. Right. I understand. <laughs> wow. So ladies, I hear we're talking a lot about the need for change. And we're also in a unique time. I mean, these are challenges that have been around forever. Um, there's been a lot of focus now with the Black Lives Matter and the racial injustice. And there's also actually been anti-Asian uh, injustices as mm-hmm. the COVID time. Um, in light, though, of, we are, of the fact that we're still living in remote work space, usually, which is also impacting the opportunities to go and have coffee with somebody or pop in their office. Um, I think we're seeing it with certain different communities and stakeholders that there seems to be even uh, more challenges with developing relationships and forging these relationships. And uh, being the person that, especially for women of color, that these great plum assignments go to. Thoughts and suggestions on ways that we can overcome temporarily right now what's in front of us, but then long-term, big-term, like whose responsibility is this? Does it rest on the diversity directors? Should it be our diverse partners that have made it to the top? Um, should it be the management in general of the firm or is it office by office? Where, how do we start getting individuals engaged to really take this on? Not just because it's the right thing to do, but also there is a huge benefit to the business plan. And you see, I see a lot of coming out with clients now asking about the data. They want Mm -hmm. the, but no one's talking about the why. Well, the only the only thing before, and I just kind of want to throw this out there too, that we are extremely divided now. 
the country. And, you know, we have the, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and a lot of corporations and law firms are, as my father used to say, paying lip service to, uh, to these efforts. And I, I think we, I think we're further behind than, than, than we were even before our study at this point, based on what has occurred in the last six to nine months. Um, That's very sobering, Eileen. I, I, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not gonna, clearly this is not a political call, so I'm not gonna get Mm -hmm. into it. So I'm not saying that, but I I just am saying that you you look at what has gone on and you look at things that do not seem to necessarily be improving. So I think one of the things that's gonna have to happen is people are gonna have to get real, as they say, people are gonna really have to have these serious conversations and have conversations about what, what can we do? And this is how I feel and, but, but it's, we talk about equity and inequality. We've got to move beyond that, but how do we get there? I think, like we said, we talk about structural changes, but how do we make people really do the right thing? Part of it, I think, is a lot of, it's the business model too. I mean, I think some people, it's the corporations, it's, it's the folks that actually give out the business to the law firms, I think is part of it. I think they really have to stand tall and make make good on the words that they're saying and saying that you're not going to continue to do business with us if you don't do these things and make sure that the firms really engage the lawyers of color, women of color in their projects. I think that's really part of it. And it's still going to be hard and it's going to be uncomfortable because a lot of people don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. And, you know, I think we all have to accept that, that it's not something, it's not easy. It's very tough but it's, it's necessary, it makes for a better economy, it makes for better, a better you know, world, shall we say. But I think that those are things I think corporations really have to, to get involved more than, than some, some of them are. So I'm not you know, saying it. Many of them are. Many of them are, but I think um, more of them have to and have to speak up about what they're doing and speak up about what they're not going to continue to, to let happen. And that you're going to have to engage these these lawyers, these women of color on your projects, on your matters, to be involved, to be engaged, and see that we are as good or better <laughs> than a lot of the folks that they have on the projects. And then that might uh, be helpful. I know Paula. So, you, you know, one of the things, you know, and there are some corporations that are doing well, like Hewlett Packard, you know, they will reduce your, right. your fee by right. 10% if you don't have diverse teams. And, Microsoft has something similar, but you know I think um, you know you know there's a lot of talk about um, clients getting in the business of law firms, for example, and do they have a right to do that? Um, and then mm-hmm. you know, on the on the other side is you know you hear law firms saying the clients don't really understand our business or our business model, and they should not be interfering in this way. But you know um, you know what what I think about is that the clients they control the money they've got the power of the purse you know and so um and so i think that they have more power and authority than they have but i think what's going to be interesting with all this heightened information that they're requesting i think um time will tell as to what it is they actually do with the information that they collect Uh, Mm -hmm. What is it that they're going to do when they say we want to see diversity and they've got no diverse people billing on their matters? Um, You know, what are they going to do? Uh, What is what is going? Are they going to impose any consequences on the firms? Because if they don't, then 
unless you have someone who, you know, leader who is really committed to um, these and, and understand that the success of your women of color is directly tied to the success of the firm, um, then you are not going to change the status quo. And I think that, you know, when you think about succession planning, you know, this country, you know, the demographic is changing. And so, yes. you know, like I'm going to be gone soon, although I'm, you know, a part of the, I, I, I mean, I am, mm -hmm. that's the truth of the matter. But, you know, but there are a lot of people who are my age who are white men. And so if you want your firm to continue to live for the mm -hmm. next hundred years as you have been living, you've got to do things differently. You know, what is your legacy going to be? Um, are you going to say we were on the right side of this? We brought along everybody. We gave everybody the opportunity to succeed. We checked on them to prevent them whether they were getting all of the right. things that they needed. We wouldn't wait for them to walk out of the door, then look back and say, oh, what happened? Oh, did they get a better opportunity? No, maybe it is a better opportunity, but if we had provided what they needed, would they have even looked for another opportunity? Are we going to continue to be able to be in existence if we don't bring these people along? And so beyond the clients, it is still a function of survival, in my opinion. If you don't bring these people along, who's going to be there to do the work at the end of the day when everybody else has gone off and retired? If you have not groomed these people, if you have not developed them in a way to become leaders, et cetera, then you, you, will, have no, you will have no organization. And that is not just with regard to law firms. I think that is within any institution. Um, you know, if you have in, in a prosecutor's office, if you haven't groomed people to come along, what's going to happen? Who's going to lead the prosecutor's office, for example, um, if you haven't groomed people when when all of the white guys are gone and retired? Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> you think they're all going to be gone, huh? Mm. I don't know about that, I don't know. I well, see well, that. What I'm saying that. is, is that they, they're not all going to be gone, but there's certainly going to be some attrition. That's um, true. And with the changing demographics in the country, that you have to think about those things. As who's going to replace John Harris? Uh, who's going to replace Chuck Stone? You know, who's going to replace these people um, who have been generators of work? And then, you know, the other thing I think that you that, that firms should consider is, is how they allocate credit. You know, if somebody, if we've, you've had an instant, and this is what I heard one firm is doing, if a client has been with the, the firm for more than two years or an institutional client, then you got to start paring down the credit that you gave to that original person because obviously other people are working on that to ensure that that business stays with the firm. Mm -hmm. I think that there are a lot of different things that firms and organizations can do simultaneously um, to build different kinds of structures. Obviously, you need leadership from the top. You need a strategic plan that focuses directly on diversity and inclusion. I'm happy that we have one. You know, Eileen talked about the mentoring program. We have a formal mentoring program where everybody on the executive committee, for example, has agreed to be 
um, side by side with um, a diverse lawyer. And then we ran out. So they got department heads and then the people who make the most money. And, and then they have an accountability tool. They have questions, 11 questions that they had to answer with regard to the person who was their mentor every quarter about how many times they interacted with them. Who did they introduce them to within the firm? Who did they introduce them outside of the firm? And so, you know, until we build these structures that Eileen has been talking about, then, you know, I'm going to be on my deck sipping mint juleps and we're going to still be talking about the same thing. We will. So we can't, we can't let this be a dust collector. You know, right. we're talking about, um, we, you know, there's a lot of talk about whether this time is different when we start talking about race issues and social justice issues and issues of equity and equality and so forth. Is this time is different? Time will tell. But I think that there's an important opportunity for everybody to be involved, involved. And so to your other long ago question, Tracy, whose responsibility is it? It is the responsibility of everybody. It's Absolutely. the responsibility of the leader, of the manager, of the executive committee. It is my responsibility. It's your responsibility, Tracy. It's Eileen's responsibility. It is everybody's responsibility. It is the associate's responsibility because even though there's a sponsored mentor, you have to play your role in, in helping to succeed as well. So okay. it is everybody's responsibility. Let's see. We might when it's in more minutes, Tracy might have questions. Oh, I'm so, I know. We could talk. I could talk. <laughs> I just don't. So I feel bad. There is a question that to come in saying, uh, this is actually from an individual who works in a government agency um, and wanted to know whether or not any of your findings differed for those Black women in public service as opposed to a private no. law. No. No. Pretty much no. Um, it is, it is, it is a the board, um, you know. So Although there tend to be more women of color in government, exactly. Right? Because, <laughs> so because there's a little, people think there's some less stress in right. public service and in government than in the private sector. One, you don't have to live your life in six-minute increments. Well, from someone who's been on both sides of that fence, I, I, I don't think it's less stressful. Honestly, <laughs> you know. Yes. Yeah, prosecutor I, side. I think there just tends to be more. There just tend I, I, to be more no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that it is less stressful. Mm -hmm. I think I said there's a perception. People think that. Yes. It's right. Right. People think uh -huh. that it's less stressful, but well, they and plus, keep in mind, big law doesn't want everybody. <laughs> right. You know, right. big law doesn't. You know, and government is a great place to be. I was in government for a long time, but it's it tends to sometimes be a little easier. They're much more accepting. Accepting. <laughs> Uh, right. of, to get of women in. of color. To get, to they, get to in, get but that in, doesn't mean that, that, right, that doesn't mean right. that they don't suffer the same. In oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. All right. Another quick question. What, if anything, would you like judges to start, stop, or continue? Hmm. So I guess in the court. I will say this is an example. I've read some of your studies and the yeah. comments of, you know, women of color. I, I, I can't even tell you they would question <laughs> Well, judges, well, and one of the things to give a plug for, we did a, uh, with the 360 Commission, we actually, one of our toolkits is a, a, a video for judges. Um, so uh, for diversity matters. Um, but one of the things I learned a few months ago from one of my partners, uh, he told me he was in court and a judge actually said that the case before him had been all white men and that the next case all white men stood up and the judge said, 
you know, um, I'm not going to tell you how to run your case or what to do, but you, there needs to be some more diversity on your teams. And I give that judge, you know, I mean, credit okay. more of them, more of them need to, to make those kinds of comments. They have to be careful, of course, because they're judges and they certainly can't dictate. But, but, but to just even make that statement made my partner come back to me and say, you know, this is what I heard. And this is, you know, so I think those kinds of things resonate from judges from the bench when they hear those kinds of comments to lawyers, like when corporate, same as with corporations, when corporations and the corporate uh, lawyers say, you know, I want to see more diversity. So those kind of people in those positions um, are very helpful. And I think so for, from judges, and there may be some more comments on judges as well, but Actually, that's the there one was I a, specific. There was a follow-up to that was asking to share the link for the video for judges that is in the toolkit. So where could um, an, an uh, attendee find this this video? So if you go to the ABA website, you go to diversity, there should be something that says 360 commission still. There is. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Mm -hmm. And and in the 360 commission, it has the the, the various toolkits um, and the videos for, there's one for judges, one for prosecutors, and one for public defenders on implicit bias. Okay. I have another question. I know that we're running down and we've got a few there. I won't be able to get to them. Oh, oh my goodness. Lots of questions. All right. Let's see. <laughs> Um, so what is our remedy or solution? This is the million dollar question, billion dollar question. When we go through traumatic experiences in law firms, government, agencies, et cetera, we leave and then the organizations are not held accountable, which is like a similar to what you were saying earlier. Is there a solution? What do you think? If you were to, if you were able to actually, I don't know, start over, start the firm, start with the policies. What, how do we, how do we encourage change? You know, That's the person, first of all, the person <laughs> who is not being treated fairly, the responsibility is not on them to make the change. Absolutely. So that, that should be very clear. The responsibility is on those who are in power um, to make change and to and 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 to bring people um, to the table, um, I think that um, I think that a lot of times when people leave organizations, they don't tell why they're really leaving. And I think that if we had people who would be more upfront about why is it they're leaving a particular organization, um, then we could perhaps make better progress because what happens is, is, is that um, people will leave and they will say they just found another opportunity mm -hmm. or they will leave and say, you know, I, I really like the people, but I've got another opportunity. What they don't say a lot of times is that they like the people who are like their peers. <laughs> they don't like anybody else, but they like the people who are their peers and, and that sometimes they really had challenging times and sometimes the challenges are not just with themselves, but things that they've seen with other people. So I think that one of the ways is that when you leave an organization, you have to tell somebody the truth about why it is you're leaving. And even if you leave a note, there was one woman in the study, she's kept a journal of all of the things that has happened. She's still with her firm, but she said if she ever leaves, she's gonna turn over that journal all of the all of the inequities but i think that you can't have change if nobody knows 
people know, but if it's not upfront, you know, if they don't have this information available to them that can be actually pointed to, then it, it didn't happen. Absolutely, because then the challenge is, well, this is hearsay, right? Yeah. Or, you know, Tracy, you're coming to me with these concerns, but where's the data to back it up? Where is the person to back it up? Right. But on the flip side, right. the attorneys, especially when they're junior, they're concerned about burning bridges. They're concerned about repercussions if they leave and perhaps what might happen, um, and especially if they are diverse, because they're worried about their network as well. And so I, I agree with you in the sense of we have to hear more about that. But again, I think this comes back around to the culture of the organization, right? We have to work on ways to be more inclusive so that um, our attorneys are more comfortable with showing up and sharing the good, the bad, and the mm -hmm. other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, one question I know with Anne, but it's from a student. And so you know how this is gonna pull from me. I'm sorry. Do you have any words of advice for students entering the, about to enter the workforce who have concerns about being tokenized? And that's, that's valid. Um, well, I, I think they've got, I think now, especially with, after this recent report, people, they have more knowledge, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I think the report from that perspective as well, it's, it may be painful to read, but I think it's helpful. I think with the more, you know, knowledge is power. And I think reading the study and reading the concerns of women who have been out practicing, I think is helpful. Um, and I think that you go in and, and with this knowledge, you, you have information that you might not otherwise have had. And therefore, when you go into the institution for which, for which you're going to work, you're better armed with that information. And, and you may have to, you know, like we were saying, and we started out, you can't be your authentic self. I think it, it's it's unfortunate, but I think it's true. Uh, but I also think that you need to, students need to find you know they need to go in and it doesn't they need to have someone that they can talk to inside or outside the organization that's going to help them and be supportive of them. And when they first get in, if they if there's nobody there, if they've still got someone out from law school or somewhere else, and to build that network. And Paulette and I and all the conversations that we've been having have reached out and said anybody, any student or anyone who wants to do LinkedIn with us, and we you know will continue to give advice going forward because you need that you need yeah. that you need that support system and I think you know and, and it's lonely it is very lonely it's lonely when you start out it's lonely 10 years in it's lonely Absolutely. 40 years in I, so, <laughs> I have to tell so, you I agree with that Paulette you were uh you the first time I met you you made it very very clear this is not just a one and done right you know exactly I'm here. And, and throughout right. the years you have reached out when I've had challenges or concerns and thinking about transitioning. Um, and it helps so much to have a chance to share with mm -hmm. someone who's been there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My mother always said, nothing is taken away from you if you share your knowledge. That's right. It's ever taken from you. And, you know, I, I just want to say to this student, you know, when in 2006, when we did the report, um, uh, uh, Visible Invisibility, um, I thought about the paucity of, I think at the time there were three black female partners in the entire state of New Jersey. And this was at a time when law firms, you know, I, you know, diversity and inclusion was then the flavor of the month. Um, I don't think that a lot of firms um, were that serious about their real commitment to it. Um, and so I formed a mentoring circle. Um, and I thought that a couple of people would come 
you cannot know how many people came. And so we still meet on a quarterly basis. So people have gone on, they've got married, they've had babies, you know, they may become partners in firms. And so um, law student, I say to you that if there is no such organization that you start one and you invite mm -hmm. people because it is really cathartic, cathartic to have people who mm -hmm. share your experience. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I would just sit back. I wouldn't have to do anything in the meeting and they would sit and they would share their experience and then they would work things out and come up with solutions as to how they would handle certain things. And the other thing that you should understand is, is that you have graduated from law school soon to pass the bar exam. You're smart. You're broke. You would not have been able to make it this far if you right. were not. And so no matter how somebody may try to marginalize you, and I would tell people this all the time, look at yourself in the mirror and say, I would not have been able to get this far if I'm not smart. And not only that, I probably had to be smarter than a whole lot of other people who were here. So, you know, so, so things, you know, sometimes you just have to talk to yourself. And then my final point is, is that at the end of the day, if you were so uncomfortable, if you were so miserable, then that is not the place for you. It's time right. to giddy up right. and get out of here. Right. That's right. 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 Ladies. And I always say you can have your, just one I mean, last Oh, one. I'm glad. I'm just being cognizant of <laughs> no, your time. Again, no, I no. could sit here all night. I think, you know, I, I have friends that are not lawyers, you know, that, that I talk to. You know, so I think, you know, you as a law student, you know, keep, keep that network. You know, and as Paula said, create a network for yourself too. But any friends that you've had for a while, keep that network because a lot of times it's just talking it out, just talking to somebody and letting somebody listen to you so that you can get like the comment that we got in the study. Oh, it's not just me. Right. Because <laughs> when you hear that, that makes you feel, you know, you don't feel good about the situation, but you feel so much better about yourself. Absolutely. You know, it's not you. Right. You know, it's not you. Absolutely. You're not imagining something. I can't thank you enough for spending this time. I'm sorry that I had to see you over the internet and all because I would have loved to have given you both a big hug and thank you. Same here, Tracy. Same I know, here. I know. Uh, this is great to our audience members. If you have not had a chance to read the study yet, I won't say shame on you. I might think it, but I can't. I cannot stress enough why you should read the study. And um, there's also what might be perceived as the part two, a simultaneous one, which is this talk isn't cheap, which is the next level in a sense. And it talks about women of color and white women attorneys finding common ground. This is not an us versus you concept. We're not trying to polarize, but we're really trying to rely upon allies and resources so that everyone can bring their best selves to the table. Exactly. The table. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Any other last comments? Am I missing anything? Oh, we could go on all night, but I, know. I want to thank once again, you, Tracy, for being so wonderful. Absolutely. Oh, you're welcome. Um, and um, the Boston Bar Association for having Right, and I, and I will give a shout out to Maureen as well as Paula yes. initially. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. For really wanting to hear All us. All right. Have a good <laughs> Thank evening. Thank you so much, ladies. Okay. Thank you. Have a good evening. Okay. Be safe. Too. Take Happy care. and Thank healthy you. holidays. You too. And Bye. you have safe travels to Connecticut. Thank Tracy, you. Best Thank you. We're, we're thinking about you. Thank Absolutely. you so much.